So today is the first Sunday of the month. So as try to keep going in the same direction, we will go to our catechism this morning. And if you recall, we've entered in the section where we're walking through the Ten Commandments. If you want to grab your Bible, and I hope you have a desire to open up your word and to follow along, Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Remember, this is Moses sort of retelling the covenant God has made with Israel to the generation that remains after God has wiped out the whole generation of unfaithful. But their children remain as God will keep his promise to bring Israel into the promised land. So Moses is setting them up in a way of reminding them of their covenant-keeping God and the covenant that they are under, the covenant that they have been covered by the blood of slain animals. Verse 1, Deuteronomy 5, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. He said, Moses quotes Yahweh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make of yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 11, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Just a moment of silence as you go to the Lord and ask him to open up our hearts the eyes of our hearts, to hear his word. Just a moment. Father, we call upon your mercy to teach us, to keep us, 
to equip us to humble us that we might be more like Christ and more in line with what you have said. May your mercy come upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've gone through commandment one, commandment two, but the importance of what is said begins not with the first commandment, but with God revealing who he is in verse six. He reveals himself by naming himself. I am Yahweh, as you would see in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Hebrew there is Yahweh, the name of God. And he says, that's not just who I am, but it's also what I've done. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slave, out, out of the house of slavery. And then in the, the first commandment, he says, because there's no other gods beside him, he tells Israel, have no other gods beside me or before me. He makes their faith exclusive. And then in the second commandment, he says, because I am Yahweh, the one who is, who was, and who will be, because there's no one before me, you worship as I deserve and as I command. But then we get to the third commandment. And when we think about the third commandment, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We tend to think about our speech. How we use the name of the Lord. Sometimes we even render the verse, do not use or speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. Um, but as we take a closer look at what words are being said in the third commandment, I want you to realize that it goes, it doesn't not touch your speech, but it goes far beyond your speech. When we take a closer look at the context, we also realize how crucial this commandment is for how you as a Christian live your life. So this is the three things we're going to do today. We're going to take a closer look at the commandment. We're going to we're going to separate three words so we can understand them a little bit better. Then we're going to take a closer look at the context of the commandment, uh, specifically Israel's situation forward. And then we're going to take a closer look at our lives. So let's begin with a closer look at the commandment. And three words. Look at the commandment. Verse 11. Three words to focus on. Take, name, and vain. Let's begin with name. What is the third commandment trying to communicate when it uses the word name? So this is an astronomical number. In the Bible, the word name is used over a thousand times. That says something to us. It tells us of its importance. In the Old Testament, I have the number here, 
that, that the Hebrew word that's used in this verse is used 865 times. In the New Testament, the Greek word used for name in the same context is used 230 times. Names are vitally important when they're intentional. But names also are vitally important because they label us, even if that name has no intentional meaning behind it. Let me help you understand what I mean. How many of you know the story in the Bible about Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah? I had some of you. I hadn't tricked some of you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So when Nebuchadnezzar took into exile Israel, he desired to intentionally take the best of Israel and conform them to the culture of Babylon. To, to deform them from the culture of Yahweh. And the way that we see this is not only does he want them to be taught uh, by his teachers and his, his uh, religious people, not only does he want to eat them to eat their foods and stop eating a Hebrew diet, but he also changes their names. Now, Hananiah, who's later named Shadrach, Hananiah has in his name the name of God. And when you translate Hananiah, it means God has favored. So Nebuchadnezzar said that won't work. He gave him the name Shadrach, which means the great scribe. Mishael, who would later become Meshach, Mishael, notice El, 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 El Shaddai, Elohim, notice the El in there, that's that's using God's name to, to make their, um, their name. Nebuchadnezzar removes the L, makes it Meshach, to call go from who is what God is to quest of a king. Azariah, uh, when you Hananiah and Azariah, Yahweh or, or Jehovah, however, whichever word you want to pronounce it, they both have uh, God's name within their name. Again, Nebuchadnezzar takes Ezariah away from him and names him Abednego, servant of Nebo. So those men, parents, knew the importance of a name, and Nebuchadnezzar knew the importance of a name. To also make the point of why a name is important, what is something that is nameless? It doesn't exist. It's unknown. It's not discovered. Nothing is anything if it does not have a name. Name something that does not have a name. What did Adam do? What was God's first task for Adam? To name the animals. What is the thing that pops into your mind when you first find out that you're going to have a little one? A name. And it just, even if you wait, 
there's something else that happens after you give it a name. Names are vitally important. Restaurants, farms, attractions, all communicate with their name, their intent. Names communicate value, priority, when it's given an an intentional name. But even when there is not an intent behind a name, once something is named, its name is important because its name is its reputation. Presents or represents its character. You all have someone in your mind, because we're all in sin, still fighting the flesh, that when you hear someone's name, you might have a little bit of cringe because the name represents the person, the character, the reputation. Names are vital. When we raise our children, we raise them not to dishonor their name. So we can understand when we're talking about God of all creation, the most important, majestic, powerful, the greatest reputation that his name is beyond any other name and must be handled with care. But why? Why, why must the name of God be handled with care? So the second word is take. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Take is a very broad word in Hebrew. Um, again, typically when we quote this commandment, we think about speech, how we say the name of God, which is true, and we'll talk more about that later. But if you go and do a, a, a word study of the Hebrew word used here, here's the kind of ideas that you get. To lift up, like you would take up or lift up a weapon or a sword. You would pick it up and carry it with you. The same word is used in the Psalms when it speaks of taking or lifting up our eyes. We're taking up our eyes to the Lord. The other way this word is used is to bear. Again, um, to put upon you. Isaiah 53, as God prophesies of the coming Messiah, he says that he takes or bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. Aaron's breastplate as the high priest when he wears his breastplate. The Bible, um, I believe it's Leviticus. God tells Moses that the breastplate of Aaron must bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. They have taken the names of the tribes of Israel upon his breastplate. So, We've got a word that communicates more than just speaking, 
but a total representation to possess the name and represent it, to carry it, to lift it, to hold it and bear it with you. Then we get to the third word, vain. Most often in the Old Testament, this word is translated either vain, false, or empty. Vain, false, or empty. There's actually, uh, look down at verse 20 in chapter 5. And you shall not bear vain witnesses against your neighbor. False, vain, empty, worthless. This is what God is pressing us away from. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. Let me just read it for you. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? So who's going to have fellowship with the Lord? Clean hands. Who, those who have clean hands, a pure heart. Those who do not lift up his soul into what is vain or false or empty. So the comparison there is vain as opposed to pure. False as opposed to true and right. Those who do not swear deceitfully. So we've got a name. We have bearing it or taking it or lifting it. And then we have vain, empty, false, useless. Now, to help us understand it more, let's now take a closer look at the context of Israel. The context of the situation in which this command has been given. From the beginning, God is creating a family. And it takes great shape with Abraham. He creates a a family from a man, which then becomes a tribe of twelve. And then you get to Mount Horeb, and you see not only a family, a tribe, but now a nation. And God is building this nation. God possesses this nation. And God also gives this nation a name. Israel. I'm going to say that again. Israel. They bear the name of God. They've received from God a covenant to be God's people. Of all the people in the world, this people, this family, this tribe, now this nation has been set set apart. And they are to take, to bear, to uplift the name of the God who has redeemed them. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of Israel. Now go... With my name and honor it. Worship it. Serve it. He says in verse 33, Moses to Israel, as they're on the 
the verge of entering into the land and being surrounded by nations. He says, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now we can fast forward from this moment and know and see That they failed in keeping the commandment. Number three. And how do we know that? How do we know that Israel failed to keep, to take the name of the Lord their God, to not take the name of the Lord their God in vain? Well, we read it in Ezekiel. We read it in our passage for our scripture reading. Let me remind you from the words of God. But when they, being Israel, came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord? These are the people that bear the name of Yahweh? God says, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. And if we stop there, it would be a sad, sad day. It would be history would be sad and hopeless because verse 22 Gives us hope. Because God will not have his name profaned. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, verse 22, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. Do you know what act he is about to make? A new covenant. A better covenant. With a better mediator. With a better promise. But he's doing it for what sake? But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have, bit, which you have profaned among the nations. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh. They'll know what? His name. His name. God is delivering upon His mercy because of the glory and sake of His name. And then another major prophet gives us a couple names to which that promise will come. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And another name that the promise comes to us for 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord. What is the Lord's zeal for? His name. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And our call to worship says on that day. On that day we will say give thanks to the Lord Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. And we fast forward. We get to Matthew 1. And you shall call His name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Do you think Jesus is just a regular name? No. The Greek word that is rendered Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua. Wa, Joshua. It means Yahweh, salvation. The name of our Lord matters. And is intentional. And the angel comes to Joseph and connects him back to Isaiah 7 and says, This Jesus, you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And then even Jesus coming, Yahweh salvation, Jesus leaves this world and he leaves the command with the twelve and to the church to go and do what? To make, to make disciples of all the nations. Of at this point have profaned the name of Yahweh because of the disobedience and unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. So as Jesus has built by the promise of the new covenant, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, he gives to the twelve a command to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. How? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bring more into this promise. Bring more into the covenant that they may take the name of the Lord. But they just don't take the name of the Lord in the Great Commission. But then the disciples are to then go and teach them to observe all that I have commanded. That's another way of saying the name that you take, don't take it in vain. Did you see that? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You mark them out with the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in baptism. But do not let them take that name in vain, for if they walk out of the water and then do not observe and keep all that I have commanded, they will take on the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in vain. 
I want you to see that this commandment is more than just using the names of God in your speech. But it's touching upon your very life as a Christian. Do you know how the saints of God are identified in Revelation twice? Quote, they bear the name of God upon their forehead. They are marked, sealed by the king himself, branded by the spirit of God. In him you also, from Ephesians, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed, stamped, marked with the promised Holy Spirit, the spirit that God was going to give in order to exalt his holy name from Ezekiel 36. And all who are marked by the presence of the spirit of God are given a name and all of them are led by the spirit of God and all of them live by the spirit of God. And in this leading and living by the spirit of God, God's people take And bear the name of God and do it in honor and dignity and worship and praise to him. But those who call themselves Christians and bear the name of Christ, but yet do not follow and observe what he has commanded, bear the name of God in vain. The beauty of God and his desire and his zeal for his name, that in the giving of his new covenant, you all who have been marked, stamped, sealed with the name of God, have been given that which it takes in order to live in a way that does not bring your life in vain. Let me read it one more time. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And when he does that, you have been marked. You now have the name of Yahweh on you and in you in order to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, to live a life not in vain. This is why that Paul makes this weird statement at the end of Galatians where he calls the church the Israel of God. And you just, you have to think about it for a second. But when you think about when you think about God starting with Abraham in order to bless all the nations... And then you see this up and down that God, that that Israel has through the first covenant. And then you see God give this second covenant, this better covenant. And it is done through uh, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. And he comes and he does it with this better covenant as a better mediator for what? To take the name of God where? To the world. Abraham, may all the nations of the world be blessed in your offspring by faith 
That's why Paul says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, new creation bearing the name of God, who is marked and sealed by the Spirit of God. And for all of those, Paul says, all of those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. You have a purpose to bear the name of God in this world. To take it and to spread the glory of the name of Yahweh through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's covenant people have always been called to take, bear, wear, carry the name of Yahweh in honor, dignity, and worthiness. Christian, church, bride, bride of Christ, you bear the name of the Lord. You carry with you, in you, the name that is above every name. You carry on you the name that every knee will bow before and every tongue confess. You take, when you live your life and leave this room, you take with you the name that which man must be saved from the wrath of God. You bear the name of grace and mercy. Delivered from all sin and wickedness. Christian. Church, may we not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Now, to conclude, a closer look at our life. Do you know? Do you know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, we get kind of weird with it, with Romans 10. Like if someone just says the magic words, that that's it. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And we make it as if if, you, if the words just come from your mouth, that you have the, the hope of eternity in front of you. The name points to the person Call upon the person. And who are you call upon? Who are you calling upon? You're calling upon Yahweh, the eternal I am, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're just not calling upon who he is, but you're acknowledging also who you aren't. Yahweh, the eternal, self-sustaining, me, the self Destructing, dependent person who needs the eternal, self-existing God. It's not about words. It's about him who is behind the words. Because his name is his reputation. His name is his character. Elohim. Supreme God. Creator and Lord of all. Call on him. For I am but a worm, and I need Elohim.
Adonai, which means Lord. Yahweh Adonai. Oh Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thomas proclaims it in Greek in John 20. And he uses the possessive pronouns. My Lord and my God. Adonai Elohim. Kyrios Theo. Those words have meaning as they point to him who means. It is one thing to speak words, but it is another to know him who is behind the name that the name represents. We must not just speak words, because when you speak a word, when you speak the name of Christ, when you call yourself a Christian, when you say you believe in God, you have taken the name for yourself. And what do they say? Buyer beware. How does the command end? You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Our lives. Yes, our speech. Do as Peter said today, or said to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, if you feel as if your life is taking the name of the Lord in vain, if you feel the conviction of the Spirit of God upon you, as they cried out, pierced, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For in him there is forgiveness, there is cleansing, there is being counted righteous before Yahweh Adonai. And by faith in Christ, you take on a new name. You take on the name of the eternal God. Do you know the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? For those who know the name of the Lord, I ask you to examine your life. There's a negative aspect of the third command in the catechism, which we, we didn't have, and it goes like this. The commandment forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. That begins with your life. Your life is to make God known. And if your life profanes the name of God, you must take account. Ask the Lord to show you where this is happening in your life and repent of your sin. It begins with your life because Jesus prayed. He literally asked the Father, I need them in the world. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from profaning your name. They're not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It is not false or vain. Consider your speech as you live before your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your neighbor, the the poor 
a girl in the McDonald's drive-thru who got your order wrong, consider how when you respond to her, you can profane the name of God when they drive away and they see your bumper sticker that says, Jesus rules. You profane the name of God with your speech, just how you talk to people. You profane the name of God when you show the world your priorities. When everyone knows you're a Christian, but they see your priorities and how you live your life. You profane the name of the Lord. Your attire, how you dress. If you take up the name of the Lord and call yourself a Christian, how you dress can profane his name. Your finances, how you spend the money that the Lord has given you. Your prayers speak an awful lot about your life and our worship. May all these things not profane the name of our God. Our calling is to make the name of the Lord known, exalt it in the world. And we must strive daily that all the parts of our lives that touch the world... That through the grace of God, and he purifies us as he himself is pure, that all of those aspects of our lives can give glory and honor when someone sees us in our response when they don't get our order right. I'll move on. Actually, let's talk just for a second about speech. Because I've started this by saying... The way you use the names of God isn't the point of this verse, this command. Oh, but it's important. Oh, but it's important. Every way or name we use to communicate the Lord, or I should say the Bible uses to communicate the Lord, has been turned into a word that profanes the Lord. I'm going to read off to you profanity. Lord, God, God Almighty, Jesus Christ. People use those words, those names, as profanity, as as obscene talk. But you might say, "Well, come on, come on, let's let's be let's be." Serious now. I just say it in passing. I don't. I'm not profane. I'm not using. No, no, no. This, this is exactly like the second commandment. We must understand the majesty, the worth, in the name God, or in His image. See, it's not just we need to get the letter of the law right. We need to get the command right. No, no. We have to understand. That this is pushing us beyond just what it says, but having to understand that this is revealing to us who God is. And so when I say Jesus Christ in my anger, I don't have any words to say. Your calling is to take the name of God to the world. And you stub your toe and you say, God, what have you taken to the world? Filth. You've taken your own 
when when your words slip up because you hurt something of yourself or you forget something or you get upset, all you're communicating is your the fact that you're a man. The name of God communicates who he is. And when we let the names of God slip our mouths in human responses or human reactions, we're making that word finite. I'm sorry, the words aren't getting me here, but I want you to understand when we use the names of God in any way other than holy and reverence, we lower the names of God. Hence, lowering God. That's why I'm trying to say it's the same as the second commandment. We might say, well, it's just a picture. No, no, no. It's just a picture of the unseen, infinite God of all universe. There's no picture. There's no name. There's no word that can describe, that can show. We must understand that the commandments are saying, He is God. Honor Him. We cannot devalue his name or his image because then we devalue who he is. James says that our tongues are like small rudders behind a big ship. If we're careless with our words, it might be telling us the direction that we're headed. Jesus says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Examine your speech your use of the names of God. Know them. Understand. Ask the Lord to purge you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that you can take and bear the name of the Lord your God in honor and dignity and worship. But on the positive side, the positive side, the catechism question, which I haven't even read yet, Number 48 says, what is, the requi- what is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requires a holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Why all of those? Because they're all revealing the same thing. God. They're all revealing God. And it begins with, how do you respond to God's name? How do you respond to the titles of God, the attributes of God, the commands of God? Is it, is it in holiness and reverence? Do you respond to God's names and characters and attributes and works and words with fear, love, adoration and worship? Do you tremble at the name of God? Do you weep at the name of God? Do you bless God at the name of God? Do you sing praises to the name of God. How do you respond to the name of the Lord? So what's the positive direction here? All I'm going to do to finish this before we go to the table is to read to you nine uses in the Psalms where God's name is mentioned. What does it look like to not take 
the name of the Lord your God in vain. One, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Two, we will boast in the name of the Lord our God, Yahweh Elohim. I will tell you your name to my brethren. I will praise you. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due his name. Worship Adonai in holy array. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. And we give thanks to your name forever. Seven, and those who love his name will dwell in his inheritance. Eight, unite my heart to fear your name. And nine, revive us and we will call upon your name. May this be who we are and what we are. We come to this table together. We come, guess what? In the name of Jesus Christ. Bearing that name. When you partake, when you walk forward, you testify that you have taken the name of the Lord. That you bear the name of Jesus. And so we come and we mark ourselves out. And it is a call to one another. It's a call for us to have each other's back when we partake together. You hold up the elements and you look at the persons around you and you go, may you help me not take this name in vain. That's what we're here for. We have new names. The name of God because we are new creations. We have fellowship with him. We share the name of Christ because we have shared in his death in the blood of Christ and in the body of Christ. We participate in the cup of blessing that is the cup of his blood. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, as we participate with this cup, we must not participate with the cup of demons because that would be that would be that would to be impure and false but whatever we do as we participate as we eat as we drink whatever we do we do to the glory of God we do to exalt his name forever and ever this table are for those these elements are for those who bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Dan, will you come and pray?